0: Hello Woodlane community, this is Pastor Brian and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast episode 073. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, second place can be a rough position to handle, especially when first place spends all their moments rubbing our faces in it. Sometimes that frustration can motivate us to improving ourselves, and sometimes it leads to a total breakdown. How do we make sure we come out of these times a new and improved version of ourselves? That's what we're going to cover with today's story. Check it out. Well, second place can feel absolutely awful. Silver medals can stink for many reasons, but for one in particular, they're not made of gold. You try for something, you go after something, you maybe put all this time and effort into accomplishing some goal, and you fall short. It hurts. It stings. And the more effort you put into it, sometimes even the worse it is. But the thing that can make it 10 times worse is when you come up short and then you get your face rubbed in it. You have maybe the brother or sister who is rubbing your face in it, giving you the na nah, 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 nah. Or even a step up, you have the parent who maybe says, why can't you be more like? If you've ever experienced either of those, you know that can bring on some serious primal reactions. It's why we try from the get-go to instill a habit in our kids whenever they're, they're playing a game, even if it's down to you know, playing Uno or something like that, that whatever happens, whatever the result, if you smash your sister, proverbially speaking, or you're the one who gets smashed, you look them in the eye, you shake their hands, you say, good game. Sometimes we even amplified, good game. We've been a game that you see Andrew maybe do that on occasion. If you are the one who who doesn't know what second place feels like because you're always the one winning, well, there's a free takeaway for you. But today's story does not have a whole lot of free, does not have a whole lot of good game. In fact, it shows where sibling rivalry And though the story deals with siblings, and I'm going to kind of use sibling rivalry as sort of the engine, this goes way beyond just brothers and sisters. It shows just how ugly things can get. And the story opens up. This is out of Genesis 4. We're going to do verses 1 through 10, I believe. This is verses 1 and 2. Now the man, Adam, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And next, she bore his brother, Abel. Now get at the outset. This is going to be a story about Cain. Abel's going to get his shake later on, even down into the New Testament. But throughout this story, this little section where the spotlight is on them, almost all the time, Abel isn't referred to as Abel. He's referred to as Cain's brother. It, It sounds like Abel is going to be the one in second place getting the silver medal in all of this story. But even though the spotlight is on Cain, we're going to see he is not exactly the first place gold medal winner as the story continues. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. And in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel for his part brought of the firstlings of the flock. Their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So you've got these two brothers who are bringing an offering to God based on their careers, right? Cain is a farmer, so he's bringing crops, natural outflow of that. Abel is a shepherd, so he's got access to meat, so he's bringing the meat portion. Scholars debate back and forth about why one offering is accepted and the other is not. And the text says a lot, but it doesn't really answer that question very specifically. So we're not gonna try and fill in that gap too much. What we do know, straight out of the text, is what Abel offered was he offered the fat portions, the choices, I mean, think about it this way. If anybody is a steak lover, what is it that makes a ribeye, like the choicest cut of meat you can have put on your plate? It's the fat. For whatever reason, fat and taste buds just like each other. i do not going to try and figure that one out. We try and clean it up. We try and tenderize it a little bit by calling it marbling. But let's get real. It's the fat portion. And common to the culture that Cain and Abel are living in, Abel wanted to give God the best, so he cooks God a ribeye. Extra well done. Cain, on the other hand, we don't know exactly why his offering wasn't accepted. Again, the text does not explicitly say it, so I'm not going to try to fill in gaps that I just have no business trying to fill in. But we know the end result, however we got there, is that Abel's offering is received, accepted, accepted. And Cain's offering is turned down. Now as a human being, especially a competitive one, I get why Cain might be angry about that. Why Cain might have that fire in his belly going, I don't like this. Because it can feel so much like God is saying, Cain, you're second rate next to your brother. Cain, why can't you be more like able. It's one thing when it's an objective test and you come up second place. Somebody else gets 100% on a spelling test, let's say, and you get 95%. It stinks. It hurts to, to come up second, but you get it. It's fair, right? They got 100. I got 95. They beat me. Good game. It's a whole different story Whole different ball of wax when somebody subjectively accepts another person's work and rejects yours. God chooses, on whatever criteria God chooses to do this, chooses Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. It can get awfully hard, and and this is just, I think, a human thing. It can get awfully hard to hear something like that, And separate the idea of him rejecting the offering, him rejecting the work, the project, the assignment, and him rejecting me. And feeling like there's that gut shot of I'm being turned down. Maybe you felt that sting before. It can feel, why are you second rate to them? Why can't you be more like them? And it can hurt at one level to get that from somebody who's sort of distant from us, from a boss or a neighbor. And you're like, you know what? Okay, I can keep them at arm's length. I'm not going to let that cut too deep. But it's a whole nother level of gut shot when that comes from somebody close to us. Maybe a parent. Maybe somebody who sort of stands in that role for us. Somebody that we look up to and they say, you know what? Why can't you be more like this person? Why do you have to be second rate to them? The story goes on as God is sort of giving Cain this gut shot, if you will. He sits Cain down for a little sit down, just between Cain and God. And he says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, I'm saying a lot about what is in Scripture and what is not in Scripture. So I want you to hear what God does not say to Cain. God does not say, if you would offer something better than Abel did, will you not be accepted? If you can beat your brother, if you can do better than him, will you not be accepted? doesn't say that, does it? It says, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? If you make a proper offering, I'll accept it. Again, whatever it is that defines the proper offering, we're not from a culture that has you know, burnt offerings and stuff like that, so I'm not going to try and go down that rabbit hole too much. But I have a feeling that God would have absolutely no problem at all accepting both Cain's offering and Abel's offering if they had done it properly, whatever that looks like. God does say, essentially, if you make a good offering, notwithstanding what Abel does, notwithstanding what anybody else has done, just you and me, Cain, if you make a good offering, I'll accept it. See, the only thing we get control over when it comes to us and other people is our performance, our efforts. Let's take it to a very simple example of a race. I have this thing for races, so I'm going to use that as an, as an illustration here. 100-yard dash. Let's say me and Larry are going to run a 100-yard dash here. And Larry can go start to finish in 10 seconds. And He's got this super skill that we'd, we've never gotten to see yet. There is nothing I can do to make him run slower. Legally. <laughs> I can't trip him. I can't pull his shorts and you know, hold him back. I can't tie his shoes together before the race. He's going to run that thing in 10 seconds, no matter what. All I can do is control how fast I run. The only thing I get control over is my efforts. It's one of the things when Henry Nouwen wrote what is commonly known as the serenity prayer, he really, really nails it. And it fits so well into the crossroad that Cain is at right here. Where the prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, how fast Larry runs, how fa- what my opponent does, what my brother or my sister accomplish, the courage to change the things I can, my efforts, my results, what I decide to put forth. And here's where it really nails it. And the wisdom to know the difference. What's in my control? What can I work on? And what is outside my control? But what will happen, Cain, if you don't do well? God says. If you do not do well, and there's sort of this shift starting to go on here. Because now he's not so much talking about the state of his offering. Did you do a good offering or not? He's starting to give him a little bit of a warning. He says, if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must master it. What will you do, Cain, when that fire that's growing in your belly, that frustration of being second place, how will you respond? What will it do to you when that anger turns into temptation? Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. Kind of like how he's taking him off into his home turf, where he has home field advantage here. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel. And killed him. So that anger leads Cain to doing something. And that can be a good thing. You know, When we get frustrated. When we get that fire in our belly. Sometimes that can motivate us. Drive us to do something. And that can be a good thing. Unfortunately for Cain. What it leads him to is not so good. It leads him to killing his brother. The thing is. Killing Abel, killing the competition, offing the other guy, doesn't fix his problem. God doesn't look at the situation between Cain and Abel and say, oh, now that your brother's out of the picture, I'm going to take your offering. Now, all of a sudden, your offering looks pretty good. It doesn't work that way. He makes the situation worse on himself. As the conversation goes on, the situation gets worse. We're, and it's, again, not about the offering anymore, but it's about what Cain has done out of that rejection. And Cain gets, as the story goes on beyond what I'm going to read, gets sent off to be a wanderer for the rest of his days. He never has a place to call home. Now, understandably, God, in his incredible mercy, he Cain sort of freaks out about this sentence and says, you know what, somebody's going to kill me. This is totally not going to work out well, as though it's there's any hope that it's going to work out well. And God has the grace to say, you know what, Nope. I'm going to put a mark on you that anybody who touches you, they're going to face me. But the situation is not limited now to just that feeling of rejection, but now he's off in the wilderness. And as the story continues throughout Genesis, you see those that come after him, his lineage gets even more violent than Cain was. Disturbing way that this crossroad that he is at where that leads see when anger gets the best of you it reveals the worst of you and that's what happens to Cain the anger doesn't lead him to do something good to do something to improving himself it leads him to the worst of him coming out to him killing his brother but if that's not bad enough Verses 9 and 10, then the Lord said to Cain, still kind of having a sit down with him, Where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. He makes the situation even worse. Because now not only has he committed murder, but his character is really starting to show because he's like, am I my brother's keeper? I can't handle the rejection, so I'm going to make an excuse. I'm not responsible for it. A better response might be short of killing his brother in the first place. So let's say a better response to the rejection that he felt, to the anger that he felt. Perhaps, what could I do to make my offering better what can I do to improve myself if I next to Larry get absolutely skunked and he runs that hundred yard dash in 10 seconds and I run it in 20 yeah that's that can be embarrassing that might stir in me that competitive juices that's like I got to do something about this so what can I do to get my time down from 20 seconds to 18 seconds Something good. That anger leads me to making myself better, to improving myself. If I get beat out on a test, I score 70%. What can I do to get it up to 80%? Taking that frustration and doing something good with it. Now, it might not change the fact that I might still come up in second place. If I can get my time down to 18 seconds and Larry still runs that race in 10 seconds, guess what? I'm still beat. If I get my test score next time around up to 80%, I get a B now. But the other guy still gets 100%, absolutely destroys the thing. I'm still in second place. But it's that wisdom that Henry Nouwen talks about of knowing what I can change and doing something about it. See, we can make excuses or we can make progress, but we can't make both. Cain makes excuses. Am I my brother's keeper? He can't thus do anything that makes him the best version of himself possible. So let's say you end up in second place. You get that frustration. You do something about it. You try and improve yourself in whatever arena we're talking about. And you still come up in second place. You still get beat in the race. Somebody else still gets the promotion over you. The boss likes somebody else's idea better than yours. Person across the hall gets the girl or gets the guy instead of you. You know, this counts for so many different arenas in our lives and through the different phases that we go in life. What can you do? You can look the other person in the eye, shake their hand, say, Good game. Congratulations. Good job. Now, I get it might take a whole lot of sugar with that pride, to swallow it down. I know sometimes it's tough, but here's the truth. You will never look like a chump congratulating somebody else on their win. You will never look like the weakling for saying, Congratulations, good job. And if the other person decides they're gonna rub it in your face, they're gonna, you know what? The world's gonna see who the chump really is. So this week, I hope you get first place in everything you do, but let's play the odds here and say that there might be something where you come up in second place. You get edged out, even amongst your best efforts. Don't be afraid to say, hey, congratulations, good job. And then ask yourself this question. What can I do to make myself better in this? What can I do to become the best version of myself that I can be? I was telling somebody this week, that is one of the shifts that I made as I crossed into old age and hit that, I think when I hit that 41 mark. I, I better make sure that that back entrance is still unblocked. <laughs> you know, I always was one, I'll be honest, that I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best. If somebody could run you know, I think you Usain Bolt runs the 100-yard dash in under 10 seconds. I'm like, that's the mark to beat. I want it in nine seconds. And given this arena, you take Charles Stanley or you take Andy Stanley or you take George Whitefield or any of, I mean, like history's absolute best preachers. You know what? I want to top them. That was the mark I was going for. And there, there's something, there can be something good for, to doing that, to shooting for the absolute best. But I tweaked it a little bit as I realized, you know what? When I am out on a ski mountain, I am not going to beat the 20-year-old who eats ski mountains for breakfast. But I can be the best version of myself I can be. And that's all I can do. I will always be a work in progress. Whether we're talking about the physical stuff, whether we're talking about spiritual maturity, we will always be a work in progress. And God gets that. God says, I got the finished work on the other side in heaven. So if we're asking ourselves, what can I do to be the best version of myself I can be? Whatever that looks like. You know what? That's an attitude that will always do us well. And it is an attitude when we have that, when we are willing to say to the guy who won, to the girl who won, congratulations, good job. Celebrate their win with them. That is the attitude that can foster unity amongst our brothers and sisters, amongst our family, in the church, in the community, the unity that makes life truly abundant. Thanks again for listening to the Wood Lane Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodland Worship Podcast.